this heart open wide from the depths from the heights I will bring a sacrifice do with these hands lifted high hear my song hear my cry I will bring a sacrifice I will I lay me down, I'm not my own, I belong to you alone, lay me down, lay me down, and oh, on my heart this much is true, there's no life apart from you. Lay me down, lay me down Lay me down Letting go of my pride Giving up all my rights Take and let it shine, shine, shine Take this light and let it shine I lay me down, I'm not my own I belong to you alone Lay me down, lay me down Oh, this much is true There's no life apart from you Lay me down, lay me down Oh, lay me down, lay me down oh, It will be my joy to say your will, your way, it will be my joy to say. Your will, your way, it will be my joy to say. Your will, your way, always. Well, it will be my joy to say. Your will, your way, it will be my joy to say. Your will, your way, it will be my joy to say. Your will, your way, always. And I lay me down. I'm not my own I belong to you alone lay me down lay me down oh and on my heart this much is true there's no life apart from you lay me down lay me down 
Get up on your feet. Let's find somebody. Tell them good morning. Bring your time. Bring your shame. Bring your guilt. Bring your pain. Don't you know? It's not your thing. You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the forces that keep telling me. That's alright Cause I hear your voice and it calls me redeemed With mother say I'll never be enough And greater is the one living inside of me Than he who is living in the world Oh, in the world Oh, in the world Oh, and greater is the one living inside of me Oh, 
everybody said, yeah! <laughs> if you guys would turn your attention over to the Baptist. That was almost like a country rap, dude. I mean, it's like, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm like two words behind you, you know? Well, good morning, everybody. That'll wake you up. So good to have you here this morning, and we are going to start with a baptism, and that is very exciting. Let me, let me begin by explaining what this is. Yes. Woo! Yeehaw! <laughs> this place gets weirder every week. Uh, what baptism is, is someone who understands, having given their life to Jesus Christ, that he wants to run their life. And they're realizing that what he has for life is better than what they have for their own life. And so, having accepted Christ as their Savior before, they get up in front of the crowd and they say, I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price. Uh, that's what Jesus did. He didn't need to be saved, but he wanted to make a statement at the beginning of his ministry with the disciples and others around that he was not his own, He'd been bought, uh, that, that he was here to serve his Father's will. And so Jesus went down in the baptismal waters, and that's what we do here. Uh, Isabella is going to be baptized by her father uh, because she has accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she wants you to know that she is going to follow him with her life. And uh, if you're wondering why we have a daddy baptize his daughter, it's because he is the first line of spiritual line of defense. He is the pastor of his home, right, Jonathan? Yes, sir. And uh, having understood that and walking with God, we've talked about his walk with the Lord. It is his privilege to stand in front of you and say, I'm, it's not just her commitment, it's his commitment to disciple her. So we don't want you misunderstanding. This is not for salvation. Isabella has accepted Christ before. This is her saying she wants to follow the Lord. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to them. Well, you want to tell when you chose, when you made the decision? What were you doing? Praying. What else were you doing? Um, were you coloring something? What were you coloring? A picture. And that's when you decided to accept Christ in your heart? Yes. Okay, good. Well, in that case, go ahead and grab your nose. In that case, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Megan Sullivan was your kindergarten teacher? Megan, why don't you come on up? Uh, for those of you who teach in the public school system, this is a testimony to, to what God can do through you. And uh, they wanted her, uh, each, each person that gets baptized, we ask, who would you like to pray for you in front of the church? And they asked for Megan because you had had such an impact on their life. So big, big, lot of pressure here to pray. Don't mess it up. I mean, I, but, but I just want to say, we have gotten to know Megan, Julie and I, and, and her husband over the last months. And these people love serving. And those of you who are teachers, I know that you're frustrated with retirement and insurance and everything else. But just so you know, welcome to the ministry. You're doing God's work. You are doing God's work. Even if you can't preach the gospel in your class, you are living the gospel. So a little message is done. Megan, why don't you pray? Thanks. Feel bow with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day, for bringing Bella to you, for us being here to be able to witness it. Um, I pray that you be with her family so that they are the rock that she needs to keep her love for you strong. I know you will keep your hand on her everywhere she goes, and just let her know that we love her as much as you do, if that's possible. Um, thank you for letting us be here, and I pray that you just stay with her through her whole life. Amen. Okay, go ahead, go upstairs. 
All right, I'm going to make my way over here. Where's Marissa? Come here, officer. She's, she's not an officer. She is. I was going to offer you my arm, but I'm going to take your arm because you've been through boot camp. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> that is so nice. Uh, Marissa, as you know, just, actually, I'm going to let her talk for herself. She wanted to share something with you, and uh, so I'll let her do that. Um, so good morning. Um, about nine months ago, I uh, started my journey in the Navy, uh, went through two months of boot camp. And um, so basically the way boot camp worked, uh, they'd, you know, treat us however you know all day, and then at the end of the day, we'd have mail call. And... Um, the overwhelming amount of support that I got from this church, like, it was incredible. Um, I don't, if it's something that you've never experienced, for those of you who have experienced boot camp, you know, and um, obviously you're safe the whole time, but it is really easy to feel alone. Um, you know you have your family supporting you, but, like, they don't know what you're going through every day. And um, But at the end of the day, having those letters from your family and from uh, your family in the church. Some people, honestly, I didn't even know, um, were sending me letters and I'll constantly, just um, an overflow of support. And I, uh, I really just wanted to thank you guys for that. Y'all have no idea how much that support meant to me. Um, so thank you guys. Right, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, I know a bunch of you are going to ask, so we'll go ahead and ask. Why don't you tell them what you're doing now? Um, so after boot camp, I uh, went to Maryland to start my A school, which I just graduated from on Wednesday. Um, so my MOS or rate is a mass communication specialist. So I'll be doing uh, public affairs, journalism, news writing, videography, um, and all that for the Navy. So like anytime you see um, anyone in the Navy on the news or anything that's published like on Navy.mil, that's uh, MCs do all that. So. I'll be um, doing um, more training in graphic design and um, multimedia until the beginning of next year. And then in March, I head to my first ship. I'll be on the, uh, the Ford in Norfolk, which will be dry docked for most of the time that I'm there. So I'll be going TAD with uh, different destroyers and stuff. To um, We mostly deploy to Europe. So pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> We're very proud of you. This is uh, part of our ministry. You know, uh, Marissa grew up at Carpenter's Way and has been discipled, and we continue to pray for her. Uh, did you, and, and she was able to be involved a little bit with crew there, right, When in boot camp in Chicago, which is, thank you, which is Josh Ferguson, you, you know, one of our missionaries, he grew up here, and so our worlds collided there, but we are so, we are so proud of you, Marissa, we, we are, and we thank you for your service, and we will continue to pray for you as you go out to sea, and uh, we will pray that the seas are calm. So, uh, all right, I, I want to make some announcements here, um, and then Robert, Pastor Robert's going to come up and share a few things about some mission stuff. But uh, if you'd open your worship guides, there are a few things. We are excited uh, to welcome uh, Micah and Laura Lee Birdsong into our church membership family. Um, as you've been seeing each week, we have new families coming in. That's because we had a class about three weeks ago, 
And uh, when you're done with that class, you sit down with an elder and you interact with them a little bit, ask questions and whatnot. And so uh, once those, those times are done and they're sure they want to become part of our family, that's how that works. We'll have another class uh, early summer. So if you're interested in becoming a member of Carpenter's Way, that's how we do that. But we're very excited for them. A couple other things. We have a family dedication on May 13th. Uh, Josh and Allie Ferguson are going to be with us. I just mentioned them. Um, and us being their home church, they've got that little beautiful baby, Levi. And they're going to be here. And so there's going to be a, a, a family dedication. Some of you are more familiar with the term baby dedication. It's the same thing. But we really feel like we're committing, the whole family is committing themselves to raise a child in the love and knowledge of the Lord. So we call it family dedication here. If you have a, a child that hasn't, and you haven't dedicated uh, or been a part of a service like that, we would love to have you join us. If you'll talk to Alicia or message the office, we'll definitely um, be in touch with you. Uh, another thing is you'll notice there's a church family meeting in the middle. You know, if you've been to church any number of times, a, a, a thing like that can be kind of scary. It's like, oh, oh no. Um, that meeting is exciting because we're going to talk about doing some renovation on our building. And uh, we want to share it with all of you. We've been working on it as elders and as the finance team for a while. And so we're going to present it. And, and some of you are going, oh, great, a multi-million dollar project. It is not a million dollars, and we're not going in debt for it. So uh, come to the meeting. You'll want to be a part of it. We'll be able to ask questions and interact. That's two Sundays from now. So, uh, again, so two Sundays from this morning during the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to have that. And I know some of you go to Bible study at 8. If you'd stay with us that second hour, and those of you who usually go at 11. And if you're even visiting with us and you want to see how we function as, as business, this is, uh, this is a good meeting to come to. It's going to be a really exciting morning. And, and also plan on, plan on joining us for that. The only other announcement, and I understand the ladies had a really neat event this past Thursday. I heard that was a really a lot of fun. Um, well, we have men. It's our opportunity to have some fun this coming weekend. Uh, from about, from you know, we're going to be up there at noon. From about noon to four, if you'd like to join us on the back, there's an insert here, and then on the back is a map. Uh, it tells you what you need to bring. We're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs and whatever else you bring. So plan on joining us uh, and uh, bring a chair. And if you have uh, if you have games you like to play, yard games or whatever, come. It's just a chance for us to hang out. We're also going to shoot some skeet, and it's just going to be a good old time. And if you don't shoot skeet, you can still come, and you'll have a great time. There's plenty to do. But that is this coming Saturday. If you have any questions about that, you can certainly contact me and or the office or email or whatever, and we will uh, we will put you in touch with the right people or answer your questions. Pastor Robert, uh, Robert Grimes, as you know, is uh, pastor of missions at Carpenter's Way and has some uh, updates and a announcement he'd like to make and then he's going to lead us in prayer for our offering and and uh, so Robert thank you sir first I just want to say it's 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 a privilege and a great honor for me to, to be involved with the missions at this church and we try at least one time a year to kind of update what we're doing as far as as the missions where we we do support the International Mission Board, which is several thousand missionaries around the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we also self-direct some, some of our funds. And I don't know if you've noticed, I know there's a lot of new people coming here now, but there's a table out just as you, before you come in the door that has a lot of little sheets that look like this out there. And these are the missionaries that we support. Now we're in the process of updating a couple of those and so we don't have the sheets for them. But I encourage you to go out there, look at the sheets, Pray about it, pick up a sheet, uh, take it home with you, put it on your refrigerator, do whatever you want to do with it. But, but these people need to be encouraged on, on an everyday basis, whether it's a missionary in a foreign country, 
our missionary here, our ministry here, it's very important that they um, receive a lot of prayer. You heard Marissa talking about the support that she got. That's an encouragement. So it's real important that we, we do that for our missionaries. And I just want to tell you where these missionaries are that we support that are self-directed. Uh, we support one in South America. We support two in uh, Central America, which is in Guatemala. And we have a mission trip going to Guatemala. Uh, are y'all full yet? There's still an opportunity, which is a great trip. It's close, short flight to be involved. And you can see Chastity or Jeremy Overby about that. Uh, we have one in Madagascar. We have one in Mozambique. We have one in Russia. And we have one in India. And then in the U.S., you've already heard that about Josh and Allie. Uh, we support them. We also have a couple we support in South Texas and Edinburgh. And then we do locals. We do CISC. Godtail, and I, I've got to where I had to write these down because I'm getting old and can't remember anymore. But, and then we have a Salvation Army, and then we support Pregnancy Help Center, which uh, the director is Paula Havard, who's here, uh, a member of our church. And then we do the Mosaic Center, uh, which is Donna Bustler. She's, she's the executive director there. And I don't know if she's, she's here. Oh, she's right there. Sorry. <laughs> and while I say that, if, if the guys would come on up and get ready for the offering, and then I want to tell you um, that under the same umbrella, there's a new ministry in town called Christian Men's Job Corps. Uh, basically, the same principle is what the Mosaic Center does. Uh, we're going to be accepting uh, men into uh, the training to teach them how to get a job and especially teach them about the gospel and about Jesus, which is the most important part, the reality is. Uh, that is starting. We're going to start, probably start receiving uh, men in May. And I want y'all to pray about that ministry because it's going to need a lot of prayer. It's, it's, a, it's a tough project to start up, especially for men. Uh, men are not very open most of the time, so it's real important that we, we get people involved with that. And there's several needs, and we do have several people that are in this church that are on that board. We have several needs. We need volunteers for prayer, to lead Bible study class, to teach jobs for life class, and to be a coach or a mentor. And then, of course, we're always going to need funding. So if y'all would pray about that, about being involved in any of these local missions, it would be a great opportunity for you to serve, and you don't have to make a long trip to do it. Um, so let's pray, and we'll take the offering. Father, we just praise you for your mercy and your grace and the way you love us. We pray for the many blessings, Lord, that we never even see that you surround us with. And we just ask you now, as we take this offering, that we would give back to you now, what is really yours, but we would give it back to you and that you would use it to bring glory to your kingdom. Father, we just praise you for all that you do for us, and we just love you, and we pray that this service will be blessed today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I will trust Him. 
my words seem to do justice to describe the glory that you are I will stand before you and worship I will show you my I lift my hands, oh, I lift my voice to you. I lift my hands, oh, I lift my voice to
When you uh, sing songs like that, it reminds you how free we are. Man, how Satan loves to get us to reach back and chain ourselves up again, doesn't he? This isn't a new thing. That's why uh, Paul wrote, do not be tangled up again in the sin that we've been redeemed from. I uh, have enjoyed so much uh, the series that we're in right now. If you remember, it started in Ruth and now we're in 1 Samuel, uh, entitled, This is What It Looks Like. Um seeing a Moabite woman turn to God, the God of the Hebrews, when all of the Jews she knows aren't, don't trust him. That's Ruth's story. It's been remarkable to say, uh, I want your God to be my God and your people my people. When, when the woman she's talking to, Naomi, doesn't believe God's been faithful to her. Or watching an infertile mom who loved and trusted God be mocked because she couldn't have a baby, and then plead with God for a child and get one only to give him back. And you know that's Hannah with Samuel. Or we've seen a religious group of people, I mean God's people, calling them to himself, reject him. He wants to be their king, their leader, their ruler. And they say, no, give us a fallen human king. And God warns them what that looks like and what it will cost them. And still choose a fallen human over, over God himself as their leader. To watch God use a young boy defeat a huge champion of their enemy uh, in a battle to show that he, uh, who he is to his own people who have totally abandoned him and stopped trusting him. Um, it's an incredible story we've been looking at. And, and if you stop and you step back and you just look at God and you look at people, you begin to realize that things haven't changed much. God truly is the same today as he was yesterday, and he will be forever. 
And people haven't changed. Technology has, but people haven't. We're just as untrusting and rebellious. You know, as we sing these songs this morning, I thought to myself, gosh, if I only actually meant what I'm singing. I, I, uh, I want to trust God with everything. I want him to be first more than anything, but I just only want it when I'm not struggling. When I'm struggling, I seem to take things into my own hands, and I, I am sure that that is the case for most of us. That, that is, uh, you know, when I, was a little, when I was a boy, I thought that lust was the worst thing I struggled with. It's much worse now, you know. Um, it's, it's just so insidious. Every time you turn around, you're worrying, you're concerned, you're, you're fretting, you turn on the news, or, and it's just, it's just amazing. Or, or you rejoice in what humanity's doing as if that's the solution to people's problem. If you're uh, here this morning and you don't know our God, look, we just want you to know that He loves you and He sent His Son to die for you. And your chains, the chains of life, can be taken off. And uh, He invites you to follow Him. He invites you to give your life to Him today. Uh, to join us in this family where we're just, we're just trying to learn to trust Him. And there's so much in this book we're in right now. So much about God. So much about fallen humanity especially those of us who claim to be God's people. Um, the, this study uh, in observing God and people continues this week and in, in this week's text as it will powerfully exemplify the difference between a religious man and I, I, I just... Characters of Scripture that you know really well take on um, unspoken characteristics. We don't think about it, but I, I just want to keep reminding you that Saul is the king of the Hebrew nation, the nation that God called his own people. And having uh, being that man, it, he was not an atheist. He was not agnostic. He, he, he celebrated the festivals. He offered sacrifices. He put on the ephod, or had this priest put on the prayer shawls, and he prayed to God. He just didn't believe at the end of the day that God was the answer to the, to the secular things of life. He effectively separated sacred and secular. Sacred is those religious things or religious events. Secular is everything else I deal with as a king. And, and he put his trust in himself and man and his military and money. And he did not put his trust in the Lord. I was talking with somebody Wednesday night. And uh, I, was, uh, uh, I was asked, why, why do you think Saul allowed David to go into the battle against Goliath. And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I, think, I think the reason that he did that is because he was tired for 40-some days, morning and night. He listened to this loudmouth, badmouth Israel. Nobody else rose to the occasion. And I think for King Saul, he just thought, we've been their slaves before. Let's get this over with. This boy's going to be demolished. Let's just get on with life as the slaves of the Philistines. I don't believe for one second Saul thought that David would win. I just don't think he did. Uh, and I don't think for one second David thought he could lose. Uh, I've been sharing this with you before. I'm going to cough. Give me a second. <clears throat> I, I've shared with you, you guys the last couple of weeks that the thing that has stood out to me personally as I've studied at this time is I really think that David's just a naive boy. I think he's the classic 15, 16, 17-year-old kid who thinks he's invincible. I think his relationship with the Lord is based upon not having much to lose. and He was just a naive kid, just like your kids. Have you ever struggled in your relationship with God or trusting God and your kid looks at you, your 10, 11-year-old kid looks at you and says, Mom, God's got this. Or Dad, God's got this. And you just want to go, shut up. I know that. I just don't believe that. I mean, that, that's the experience of life. And I think that that was David. I, I think he ran to the battle without any thought that he might lose. And I thought he couldn't figure out why none of the Jews would fight. 
Why none of the Hebrews? Why aren't any of you fighting? Well, I'll go take care of it. I, you know, God's going to give you to my hand today. He was too naive. And that might explain why later as we get farther into this, David loses a lot of that simple trust. I mean, he starts taking stuff into his own hands. I think something happens to us. Do you remember the hour you got saved? And you believe you could walk on water and that God was right there. And then all of a sudden you went to church for long enough where you realized you have to work it out. What a tragedy. And I, I don't know how you get back to that naivete, but I do think that we're looking at people who are really struggling with that. And, uh, and God never gives up on these people. It's an incredible story. Not once does he do what I would have done as a father and gone, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to go over to the Philistines. At least they respect my power. But he doesn't do that. He never gives up. He keeps chasing. And that's, that's just a remarkable truth to me. So I want to pray. I want to pray right now for us this morning because this week's text powerfully exemplifies the difference between a religious man, Saul, right religion, right God, right sacrifices, with a man of God's heart, a, a, a real man of God, a man of character versus what I will call an evil man, a man who has an evil heart. And uh, so let's just pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, I ask you to use me this morning. Uh, this is a text, Father, that, uh, that has been deeply convicting to me this morning as we sang, because I fear, Father, that I'm a little bit more like Saul than I am David. And that is a problem for me as a pastor as I preach to these people and I tell them they need to trust more. Wow, I'm, I'm just so aware this morning of my own frailty and I, I thank you for grace. I thank you that uh, my chains are gone. I've been set free from the penalty of not trusting you. You have made me your child by declaration. You maintain me by the empowering and sealing of the Holy Spirit. And you are transforming me by his work inside. So this morning, make us a little bit more like you. Amen. Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. We're going to jump back a little bit to get the context. When the victorious Israelite army was returning, uh, returning home after David had killed the Philistine, Goliath, Women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and you would think Saul would be overjoyed with this. I mean, his nation just won. Their Philistine, he, he, he may have thought they were going to become their slaves. This is a glorious moment, and he's high-fiving everybody. And he's listening to these women's songs. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. I would like to add that Chad failed me this week. I was expecting that to be sung, but he came up with nothing. I don't know what this song would sound like. Some of you complain that we repeat choruses. Apparently, those are the only words to this song. It's a 12-minute song. Um, so he, he hears the women singing this song, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. I actually think that that's probably overcounting for Saul. We know that Jonathan killed many, and although Saul probably entered the battlefield at times, the truth is we have no knowledge of him killing thousands. We don't. He, he's the guy in the tent while his armies are on the hillside when Goliath's in the middle. He, he's still in there. He's a king. He doesn't fight, but this records him as killing thousands. If I were him, I would have high-fived myself and said, wow, I'm glad they can't count very well, but not him. Verse 8 tells us that this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Now he's a prophet. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Unfortunately, as is often the case with people, whether it's before Christ's birth or now, jealousy without restraint grows and encompasses a life. It overwhelms it. It becomes cancer. It becomes an obsession. And so it did with Saul regarding David, verse 12. Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. 
Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him the commander over a thousand men. And David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. I want to pause for a second, and I want you to try to see the progression and emotionalism that happens with Saul. He begins by being annoyed by this boy. So what does he do? He gets him out of his presence. Remember, at this point, he was full-time on his war cabinet. He was full-time in his presence, and when he had difficulty, he would call David in to bring comfort to him. It said that Saul loved David very much until the women started singing that song. So David is constantly in his presence. He probably had a throne real near him. And then he becomes jealous. So what does he do? He gives him a thousand men and sends them off. Wants to get him out of his way. And this progresses. As David continues to succeed, verse four, in 14 it says, then verse 15, when Saul recognizes that God is blessing him for everything he does, he becomes even more afraid of him. And unrestrained jealousy becomes fear, and fear becomes a resentment if not dealt with. As the nation grew in their love for David, Saul's jealousy did just that until he could contain it no more. Remember how we've said in the past that sin makes you stupid? Well, you're going to see that today. You're about to see what that looks like. Verse 17. One day, Saul said to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter, Merib, as your wife. But first, you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul actually thought I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. That's what it looks like when sin makes you stupid. The story perfectly illustrates who this guy, King Saul, had become. Remember his promise back in chapter 17, verse 25? The king said, the king had offered a huge reward to anyone who kills Goliath. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and that man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Please note that the condition of getting these two rewards was simply defeating Goliath. And the reward and payment for that was one of his daughters in marriage and a tax-free life for his family. Well, as you know, David had killed Goliath, and this is how Saul keeps his word to him in 1817a. I'm ready to give you my older daughter Merib as your wife. Good for you, Saul. That's what you'd promised. But first, you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battle. So just to be clear, the character of an individual, and I want to say this because even in the church we talk about this. I, I, I've been thinking a lot this week about the bumper sticker that you see, you, you saw it more in the 70s and 80s, but it's still around periodically, and it says, not perfect, just forgiven. In other words, and I, I get that, and that's true. Christians still struggle. And if, if you don't go to church, if you're watching online today because you don't want to don the door of a church because it's full of hypocrites, let me be the first to admit we are hypocrites. That's why we come. We need Jesus. But sometimes I think we make excuses for our sinfulness. Not perfect, just forgiven. Uh, so don't expect anything from me. I mean, you, you, you really start to see the character of this man in this. It... <clears throat> he had promised that he would give his daughter to anyone who beats Goliath. The character of an individual is not just something you see when nobody's looking. That's a common phrase today, right? In other words, don't perform, be it. But sometimes that becomes a mantra that takes a life of its own. In other words, don't look closely. I want to flip it on the surface in this story this morning and say character is also something that everybody sees. What you do speaks to what you are. 
That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, because it's not that by, by, by being loving, kind, gentle, patient, long-suffering, you become a child of God. You are those things because you are a child of God. Too many times Satan gets us to flip position with performance. And it's actually position first, then performance. It's not performance first and then position. That's old, that's old covenant stuff. That's, uh, that's working your salvation out. This is position in Christ and performance. Saul had promised his daughter and wealth. Now all of a sudden he adds new conditions even though he had fulfilled the first set of conditions. His resentment of David meant that, that, uh, that he would renege on his promise and that he would require these, this new thing. But that isn't even the real reason. That was an excuse to accomplish what he really wanted to accomplish. And at the end of chapter 18, verse 17, it tells us what? Saul thought to himself, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. Now, for those of you who think that David walks on water, he is going to duplicate this in his own life. Only he will be successful. That for another time. But this is what it looks like to have a dark heart to be overtaken, and I mean under the control of jealousy, resentment, fear, and your flesh. This is what it looks like. There are two things that I believe Saul is trying to accomplish in this challenge he gives this boy here. Number one, I want to point out that he said it's God's battle. You notice that? All of a sudden, Saul's a godly guy, cares about these battles. These battles are the Lord's. This is the guy who forgets to bring God to the war. His son Jonathan brings God into the battle. David brings God into the battle against Goliath. But now all of a sudden it's the Lord's battle. And I think, it's, I think that he's cunning in that. Because you have to understand that David is now the kind of boy that, that, that religious folklore is made of, not just today in history, but also back then. This boy took on the enemy, nine foot, nine inch tall Goliath, whose spear was heavy. He took him down. And, you, and these women are singing songs about him. He, is, uh, he was the thing that spiritual legends are made out of, only it was true and everybody knows it. How do they know it? Because the boy still carrying Goliath's head around. Remember that I told you last week that I believe that he doesn't take it into Jerusalem until some time later when they actually, he actually be king, becomes king and that's his, that's his new capital city. That he's carrying the head of Goliath around as proof of death. This, this is an amazing section because, first of all, what he's doing is if he sends this boy out in battle and dies like he fully expects, it's not his fault that the boy dies, it's God's. And all of a sudden, the hero status of this kid, David, isn't so much a hero because God didn't protect him in this battle. Maybe it was just pure luck that killed Goliath. He's undermining his spiritual authority. The second thing that happens is not only would David no longer be able to be a spiritual folk hero if he dies in a battle with the Philistines, but the Philistines would be blamed for killing the boy. So even though Saul wanted him dead, he would be completely free of responsibility for it, and he might even actually think about speaking at his eulogy. I mean, Saul might want to go to the funeral and say, this was a wonderful young man who overachieved one moment in his life. We know that God has blessed him, and he's certainly at rest with his, his God, but what a wonderful hero we have. And he could walk away being praised himself. This is what evil character looks like. Let's compare that to young David. 1 Samuel 18, 18, very next verse. David's response to this invitation, who am I and what is my family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? 
David exclaimed, my father's family is nothing. Despite doing what was required to marry one of Saul's daughter, it did not make him in his own eyes worthy of marriage. It didn't make him. He was intrinsically humble, despite the fact that he had defeated dogs and bears and, and lions who came up against his sheep. Despite the fact that he had defeated nine-inch, nine-foot-tall Goliath, David doesn't say, hey, man, you promised me that woman, and I deserve her. He agrees. You're right. I'm nothing. You see, godly honor isn't something um, you strap on like a weapon or a tool when doing ministry. It's what you are from the inside out. And, and Saul's first thought is always, how can I accomplish my said goals? David's first thought is, why am I even here? What gives me the right to be here? You see, godly honor is not something you put on religiously. It is something that you are from the inside out. I want to remind you that Saul was a religious man, but of David, God said, that's what it looks like to desire me. That's what it looks like to be a man after my heart. You see, it's, it's not a performance thing that declares us righteous or wise or godly. Performance comes out of what we are. And Saul's a performer when it works for him. And he brings God into the equation when it fits his agenda. And he can blame God. But David is intrinsically humble by nature. And I thought it was interesting because I want you to listen to Jesus preaching about, well, the man or woman of God in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5. One day as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. So, so again, this is how rabbis taught. This, this wasn't a sermon, dear beloved. That's not what this was. He's sitting. His disciples gather, and not just the 12. There was probably hundreds there. Lots of folks considered themselves disciples of Jesus. But they're sitting around, and as rabbis often did, he starts talking. And what does he said? God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jesus. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. These are the character qualities of those who are God's followers, according to verse 11. These are not the things you strive for as a follower of God. These are the things you evaluate. This is like the, this is like the Old Testament. And remember, this is before Jesus died. But this is like the Old Covenant fruit of the Spirit passage. These are the character qualities of a man or woman who considers themselves my followers. And then he, Jesus calls them the salt of the earth in the text. These are the best that the world has to offer. Just because someone is religious or even worshiping the right God at the right time, at the right place, does not make you like Jesus or even his child. Actually, it makes you more like Cain. Take a breath. Think about what I just said. 
I want to remind you that Cain came to the right altar, right God, right time, right place, wrong heart. Wrong heart. I mean, the truth is, too often we look in the mirror and say, man, do I have something to offer? And God's going, you have nothing to offer. This goes along with the whole concept in the church, and, and, and Robert Grimes have talk, and I have talked about this quite a bit, but this wrong teaching that, that God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not what the text says. The text says you will not be tempted spiritually, sin-wise. You will never be tempted beyond that which God gives you a way of escape from that temptation. But actually the scripture is full of passages that says God will break us in half. He will take us to the end of ourselves so we can cry out to Him. He uses broken vessels. Uh, those who cry out to me, I'll, I'll fill. Those who want water, I'll, I'll give them a spring. They're constantly... God rewards those who come to Him, not with a big game, but a big heart. And you see the difference in that in here. But it isn't just there. Look at Galatians and just listen to Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 24. So I say this, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the laws of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Here's what they look like. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, who does that sound like in today's text? I mean, it just describes Saul, completely self-absorbed. And the core of that is, is feeding your flesh, doing what you want, making decisions based upon your ideas and your thoughts. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Who does that sound like in our story? I mean, today's text isn't the, isn't the most powerful text. It's not like David and Goliath. It's, it's not like one of these life-changing, movie-making scenes. But it is a very, very important uh, uh, section of Scripture if you want to understand the difference between Saul and David. I want to remind you that Saul, like Cain, worshipped the right God, right place, right time. He just did it with the wrong heart. His heart was self-centered and envious and jealous. David, it was just who he was. David just worshipped God. He just cried out to God. He couldn't believe anybody not doing that. It overwhelmed him. It has been said that character, and I wanna, I've already said this once, but I want to I say it again. It has been said that character is what you see when no one is looking. I'd like to add to that again, that godly character is what everyone sees in your life. You know, there is some frustration in this country over lack of responsibility. Most of you are politically right, and that is, a, that is a cry of the political right. What is wrong with people taking responsibility for their action? Get a job, take care of yourself the best you can. There should be help for those who can't do that. But I'd like to say that I don't think we live that in the church much anymore. The truth is we're, we should walk with God as individuals, not just corporately, but as individuals. We should live men and women of character even if we lose stuff over that character. 
There is nothing private about the lives that God's kids leave here, lead here on this planet. There's nothing private about it. We're not called to keep our mouths shut and our heads down. We're never called. We are here to be salt and light. We are the salt of the earth. We're not here to be belligerent politically either. What we are here to do is be salt and light in this culture. We are here to witness to anyone and everyone who will listen that there is hope found in Jesus Christ. But why would anybody want to hear anything we have to say if we're attacking each other all the time or them? This has been my struggle with the church's reaction to gay marriage. I don't like gay marriage, but on the other hand, it's not my country. I mean, if there's more people voting for that, it's their country. We are the foreigners and strangers. We're the ones who should be lifting up what godly, sacred marriage looks like. So maybe instead of attacking people who believe in homosexual marriage, we should probably start improving our own marriages. Maybe the church, instead of attacking the uh, immorality of, of L.A. or Washington, D.C. or Hollywood, maybe we should worry about our own morality. Maybe instead of talking about how unkind people are on television, we should ask ourselves, how are we to the waitress who doesn't give us enough iced tea? I mean, the truth is that we are changed not because that's what Christians do, but because that's what Christians are. And I know David wasn't a Christian because he's under the Old Covenant, but this heart was pure. And I want to remind you that when God removed Saul from king, he said, I have chosen another Samuel. Don't look at his outward appearance. I don't look at that. I look at the heart. And I have chosen a man who has a heart for me. So whether it's under the Old Covenant or the New, the truth is a heart that longs for God is emptied of looking at himself. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. Boy, we're going to find that out from David. In case you haven't read the end of the story, he's not a good king. He's a bad dad. And an even worse, I mean, it's, it, we'll get into it. But one thing he does right, he does love God. He does love God. There's nothing private about the lives that God's kids lead here on this planet. The Apostle Peter said that we're aliens and strangers, and we should live our life differently than the rest of the world, even if they persecute us for it, so that on the day of the Lord's return, they will glorify our Father. And David is radically different in this text because he was a man after God's heart. Saul may have been the human king of God's nation, but he was not part of God's kingdom. And that's scary to me. Not for me, and not for you. But this may explain why 70-some percent of people in this country claim to be born-again believers but aren't moved by abortion anymore. Maybe we love heaven, appreciate God for sending us there, but are kind of asking Him to leave us alone until we get there. I mean, this is what that looks like. You know that, right? This is what it looks like to be Christian without being under the control of God. First Samuel 18, verse 17. I'm going to read this whole text now, through 25. One day Saul said to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter Merib as your wife. But first you must prove yourself to be a real warrior as opposed to the fake guy who killed Goliath. <laughs> Somebody should slap this man. To be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistine and let him kill him rather than doing it myself. Who, who am I, and what is my family in Israel, that I should be the king's son-in-law, David exclaimed. My father's family is nothing. So when the time came for Saul to give his daughter Merib in marriage to David, he gave her instead to Adriel, a man from Maloah. 
In the meantime, Saul's daughter Michael had fallen in love with David, and Saul was delighted when he heard about it. Wouldn't any father be happy about that? It works out. Perfect scenario. Oh, wait. That's not what he's happy about. Verse 21. Here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines. First time didn't work. This time it will. Saul said this to himself. But to David he said, Today you have a second chance to be my son-in-law. Give me some sugar. <laughs> then Saul told his men to say to David, The king really likes you and so do we. Is this guy a mess or what? Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? In other words, here guys, we know he's going to turn it down again. He's too humble. So I want you to go around and stroke his ego and tell him the king really likes him and he's into this and, and it's time to just accept this gracious offer. When Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, how can a poor man from a humble family afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? So now he gives a reason for it. Before, it's just my family's not important enough to be married to the king, to be married into the king's family. Now he gives another reason. You see, when you married a woman, you would pay a dowry, and now he's saying, we don't have any money. I could probably throw a sheep in. But how can we afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? Verse 24, when Saul's men reported this back to the king, he told him, you tell David that all I want for the bride price is 100 Philistines foreskins. I'm not going to explain that. Google it. <laughs> Vengeance on my... I know you all thought I was going to. Vengeance on my enemies is all I really want. That should have been the clue right there. Okay, I want to read this again. He, wants, he told his men to tell David, hey, tell David that all I want for the bride price is 100 Philistines foreskins. And when he starts wondering why it's such a cheap price, you know, why I'd be willing to do that, you just tell him I hate my enemies so much that I just want vengeance. Um, by the way, vengeance is the Lord when you're his people. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. What a contrast of characters. Saul marries off daughter number one to another guy. Then daughter number two, Michael, falls in love with David. And Saul doesn't even care about his daughter's feelings. He just wants to keep, just get this kid killed. So he hatches another evil plan. <laughs> even though it will break his daughter's heart. Thank you for laughing. We've all done it. He's got good cover. Humble David, still believing he's unworthy to marry into the king's family, realizes that he brings no wedding dowry, even if he thought he was good enough. And so he again refuses. All I want for the bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. But he really wanted him killed. Verse 26, you're going to find out David's heart. David was delighted to accept the offer. Because he's a boy, and this is the princess, and he gets to be the king's son-in-law. He likes me. He really likes me. And I can pay for the bride, and I won't charge my daddy one sheep. Before the time limit had expired, he and his men went out to, and killed 200 Philistines. David is an overachiever. Then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting all of their foreskins to him, to which I refer you to Google again. So Saul gave his daughter to Michael to David to be his wife. What other choice did he have? When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michael loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. You know, when you're afraid of someone, you've got two choices. You can say, you know what, let's, let's work this out. Or you can well, do what he does, remain an enemy. 
Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very, very famous. You know, one of the things I hope that I've taught you through our 13 years together here is that if you really want to get a, a three-dimensional or high-definition picture of the New Testament letters, read Acts, and when you get to Ephesus, and he says, I wrote a letter, go study Ephesians. You really know what's going on in the context. Some of you wonder, where do you get the context of these stories? Well, I, I just read around it. I find everything referring to Ephesus in the Bible, in the New Testament, and you know what? You learn a lot. It's just there, but it's going to take some work. Well, we have a cool addition to studying David. We're not just watching him from the outside. We actually can get an inside view of what this boy learns and what he thinks as he gets older. And I want to show you something David wrote in Psalm 20, verse 7. Some nations boast of their chariots and, ho and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. While Saul, like Goliath, boasted and trusted in chariots, horses, armor, shields, and training. And I'll add cunning to that list. David boasted in the name of his Lord. Upon which of these do you boast or place your hope and trust? Now, what I just did was a pastor trick. The problem is, I put a lot of emphasis on my ability. God help me. You see, I haven't killed anybody or wanted anybody killed. I generally like people, but I'm realizing more and more. And this isn't just you. I know it's a lot of us in this room, if we're honest. But I spend a lot of time planning my future out and my present based upon my information. So the truth is that Mark boasts in chariots and horses when I should be boasting in the name of the Lord. Well, Mark, you've got to keep living, yeah, but, but I should be more like David, just picking up rocks because that's what I always did instead of trying to plan out everything God's got. I, I struggle with that. As my kids get older, it's, it's harder. I was talking to Steve Hicks about that this morning. When do, you, when do you stop worrying about your kids? Yeah, never. Yeah. Cradle to the grave. Yeah, thanks for that. I wouldn't have had kids. <laughs> You know, I remember, it's, it's, uh, it's silly, though, because God's got both Zach and Anna right in the middle of his hand, doesn't he? And he loves them enough to give them difficulty so that they can learn that he's trustworthy. If Mark had his way, he'd put bubble wrap around him and have him live in the backyard. That would be fun. Not really. But it is kind of where my heart is. Do you know what I mean? I mean, the worst thing in the world for me is to get a call from my son or my daughter and they're hurting. I want to solve it. Can't solve it. You know, God wanted David to run out there against Goliath. He wanted him to. He'd have never learned how faithful God is if he hadn't. That's why he put the armor in his tent to remind him that one day when he was young, he defeated a guy that fit into that. Our character, how we face life, how we act and react to the challenges we face is actually determined by how we answer that one simple question. Do we boast in things or God? I want to remind you of another verse that Paul wrote. Romans 8.31. This is so cool. If God is for us, who could be against us? 
<laughs> yeah, but, but some Christians have been sawed in half and eaten by lions. And California is about to outlaw the sale of the Bible. Let them try. We'll just start sending our money to the state of California, the pastors. They can give it away. Then there's nobody going to jail. Better yet, what a, what a wonderful thing to go to jail for. You know what the problem with that is? If you start sending pastors to jail, jails become the most powerful evangelism place in the country. Amen. You see, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I want a cushy life. I mean, I'm just really being honest here. I want a cushy life. I want tacos on Tuesday. Um, but my head wants God more. Does yours? My heart hasn't caught up to that, though. I'm being really, I, I, I just want you to know this. My heart hasn't caught up to that yet. I, I try to be honest about that. Your, your pastor is, is not struggling with adultery or pornography or struggles trust it's worse than that and I'm assuming most of you do as well teachers I know you feel ripped off I, I don't really even understand all the things that are going on but God's got your retirement too it's okay to be political I get it it's okay to vote you need to do that but at the end of the day it's just another Goliath and the problem with having a huge retirement is you get cancer the first year of your retirement and you die. Well, that's not a problem. I can, I know, happy, happy. God's got this. There was a song that I was listening to yesterday as I was doing my yard work. So if I'm walking funny, it's because I've been working in my yard. And pastors don't usually use most of their muscles. Um, there's a song by Colin Ray. Do you remember him? Colin Ray? old kind of country singer. He's not old. He's old now because he's older than me. But there's a song he sings about his grandfather and when his grandmother dies, she leaves a note. You know, I'll see you when my chores are through. Remember that song? We only are here as long as we have chores. Then we go home. Because that is home. And again, my head knows that. My heart doesn't. My heart likes my house on Brook Hollow Drive. My kid's coming home to it. Zach was home a couple weeks ago on the weekend, and he walked in the house, and I overheard him say as he was going to his room, I love this house. <laughs> as a daddy, I grew to nine feet, nine inches tall. And then I realized I was more like Goliath. It was never about giving him a home. It was about passing on God and trust and now that he's 22, I have to break it to him that his daddy doesn't trust in God as much as he should. If God is for me, who could be against me? If God is for us, who could be against us? This morning, we've clearly observed the character of two men. One put his hope in God and one in the cunning ability to manipulate how things played out. If our lives were to read like this story, for people to simply look at, which of these characters would they associate us with? Galatians 5, 24 through 26 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed this, the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified him there. Since we're living by the Spirit now, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. It's time for us to stop putting our hope in horses and chariots and spears and stones and put them back in God. This morning's message was not for you. It was for me.
Let's close. Lord Jesus, I stand before my family ashamed that I preach things that I have yet to figure out. And so I confess this morning that I am not what I should be at this age. Thank you for grace. And I ask you to change my heart. My head is with you. My heart is not. And if I'm not the only one in this room who struggles with trust, and I know I'm not, may we not decide to trust you more. May we ask you to give us the trust we need to accomplish your task faithfully and with joy. Make us like young David. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you are visiting with this morning, I would love to shake your hand. Julie and I will be up here for a few minutes and love to talk with you. Uh, Bible study is going to start in about 10 minutes. Have a wonderful Sunday.